good all the time. You know why he's good? Because he's God. He's not good because he acts good or he's good because of who he is. He is goodness. He is the very definition of what is good. He's good because he's God. He cannot be anything but good. Open your Bible to Exodus. Exodus chapter 11. We're going to finish our series that we began uh, several weeks back on the Passover. We titled the series The Passover Plot. We've looked at the purpose of God. And ultimately, the purpose of God can be summed up in this statement, I believe. It is the glory of God in Christ. If you ever have asked, God, why did you do that? I'll tell you what the answer is. Now, I didn't say you'd understand the answer, but this is the answer. The answer to the reason God does everything is the glory of God in Christ. That is the reason. That is His ultimate purpose for everything that He has done. It's for His glory. And that glory is manifest in His Son, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about the purpose of God, the glory of God in Christ. We talked about the people of God, a new creation in Christ. We've talked about the promise of God which is fulfilled in Christ. Last week, we talked about the power of God. And that power is working in Christ. And that power is so much more than God's ability to transcend or supersede the natural laws of the universe He created. That's really nothing for God, right? He created the natural law. He created the natural universe. So His ability to supersede that or to Work above and beyond that is nothing for him. That's not really a true demonstration of his power. But what he has done in Christ in causing us to become partakers of his divine nature and through the mystery of godliness, making us one with him in his son. Now that, that is something that is beyond anything we can define or or imagine or think. The power of God working in Christ. Today we're going to talk about the Passover. And the Passover of God is Christ. So we've been on this journey looking at the story of the Passover in Exodus. And how this is giving us, how God through this, through these actual historical events, through the record of Scripture, is not just giving us a record of history, of what he did in a real people, in a real nation, in a real land, parting a real sea, having real plagues on a real nation. But, but more than that, we need to see beyond the surface of things and we need to see what God is revealing to us. And through all of this, he is revealing his son to us. He is revealing his redemption to us. He is revealing his eternal plan and his eternal purpose to us. Amen? So the Passover of God is Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So though we were born in sin, God in His grace has caused death to pass over us in view of the blood of His Lamb, not just any Lamb, but His Lamb, that is applied by grace through faith. The blood of those lambs in Egypt put on the lintel and the doorposts of those homes only spoke of the one blood that would one day, once and for all, take away all sin, all iniquity. It could only speak of what was to come. So, Exodus 11. Let's go there. Let's read verse 1, Exodus 11, 1. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh, and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Now, we're down to the last of the ten plagues. And we've looked at the other three very, very quickly. The point of discussing the power of God was not to to stand in wonder of 
whether God could make swarms of flies or frogs or lice or hailstones as big as basketballs. There's, that, that wasn't the point. And that was not the true demonstration of God's power in all of this, and neither was the parting of the Red Sea. It's what those things spoke of. It's what those things foreshadowed. It's what God was truly communicating about his eternal plan and purpose. And so Pharaoh would not heed, as the scripture repeatedly tells us, God hardened his heart and and, and he would not relent. And so now God says, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And this is the plague of the the death of the firstborn. Let's go to verses 4. And read a few verses there. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel." So this is the last plague that God will visit upon Pharaoh in Egypt. And and as a result of this plague, they will drive the children of Israel out of the land. Thus, this is where we get the word exodus. There was a mass exodus out of Egypt. This plague, more than any other, solidified the distinction God made between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. It demonstrates how God has eternally had one people, one way, one truth, and one life. Remember, God's plan is an eternal plan. Christ, from eternity, is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. That means that plan did not have a beginning. Otherwise, it's not eternal. Because eternity has no beginning and eternity has no end. This is, this is what was in God himself before time and space began. The plan has always been Christ. Christ crucified was not plan B or C or D or E or F or G. God reacting to man's failures. God doesn't react to man's failures. God is God. If I have a God who reacts to man's failures and changes his plan as a result of what man does, then he is not the God the Bible declares. And I'm telling you, the God we worship is is the God that the Bible declares. His is the name above all names. His is the power above all power. He is the omniscient, omnipresent God of creation. And this, this history, it's not just a story, it's his story. It's part of his story. This accounting foreshadows and speaks of that which is the eternal purpose of God in Christ. There has and always will be only one way to life. That way is Christ. It's in Christ. So as we witness the death of the firstborn in the account of Exodus, and you can read that, you can read those first several chapters, of, read the whole book of Exodus. It deals with everything, but we get up to chapter 14. Chapter, when we get to the end of chapter 12, the end of chapter 13, we, we see, then we get into the, the children of Israel leaving Egypt. First 13 chapters of the book of Exodus deal with this whole complete picture. And 12 and 13 deal with this last plague specifically. And so as we witness the death of the firstborn in the account of the Exodus, one cannot help but feel sadness toward those affected. I mean, we're human, right? There's something in us when we think about 
the firstborn. There were mothers in Egypt who had just delivered their children from the womb, their firstborn from the womb, and that night those firstborn died. There were families there who only had one child, and that one child died that night. Man and beast. But we need to be careful, church. We need to be careful that we do not allow our carnal emotion. When I say carnal emotion, what I mean is the emotion that we live out of, operate out of, make decisions out of, and judgments out of from an unredeemed mind. If we're not careful, we'll allow carnal emotion or judgment of good and evil, fair or not fair, to create a judgment on God for his actions. Who are you, O man, to say? Who are we to say, God, that that was not good. God, that was unfair. God, you shouldn't have. Who are we to say that? God did what he did. Why? Because he's God. And we should not have a problem with that, church. We live in a time, I'm telling you right now, we live in a day and time, and it's not a new day and time. This is the way it's always been because this is why God, let's go back, this is why this whole book is so important for you to grasp. I heard someone say the other day, well, that's the Old Testament. I don't live out of that. I don't, I don't deal with that. That's, that's what my friend Jimmy Bennett, the former pastor of this church, would say. That's ignorance gone to seed. Anyone that would say that, that's ignorance gone to seed. To say that the Old Testament doesn't matter, that the Old Testament scriptures don't matter, the Old Testament not only matters, it is the gospel that God revealed to us. We go back to the very beginning. This is why God told man, don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you'll possess something that you cannot wield, you cannot handle because you don't know. You can't judge what is good and what is evil. It's not within you to be able to do that. You will have the knowledge, but you will not know how to use it. And so we read things like this. Just like I read to you. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague. And then he says at midnight, verse 4, I will go out into... Now, there's some people, and I used to be one of them, when I surely that somehow means the devil's going to do that. Now, it doesn't say the devil's going to go out there. God says, I'm going to go out there. Well, surely God wouldn't do that. Well, surely God did that. Does that make God evil? Impossible. Why? What did I tell you just a while ago? Were you listening? God is good all the time, not because of what he does. Oh, he was good before he killed the firstborn, but that wasn't good when he killed the firstborn? No. He was good before, during, and after he killed the firstborn. Why? Because God is good. Because he can be nothing else. His goodness is not defined by his acts. His goodness is defined by his nature, by who he is. This is why we need to be careful to not judge God, not to stand in a place and put ourselves above God, which is exactly what Satan did, and begin to judge him based on our imperfect, carnal, sinful knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that, church. You might not know the answer to your whys. You might not be able to understand, see the good that will come. But I'm telling you, God is is good. Period. We don't have to add an all the time there. He is good, period. Nothing else needs to be said. He is good. So we need to remember, we need to remember what's transpiring here during these series of events that what all of this is foreshadowing is Christ, our Passover. So I want you to think about this. The firstborn of Egypt were born in sin and death, possessing the fallen nature of Adam. It didn't matter that they were Egyptians and not the seed of Abraham. They were ultimately from who? Who was their daddy, ultimately? 
Adam. By the way, even the Egyptians know this. The Egyptians, in the ancient Egyptians' writings, it says that it was Adam and Seth who gave them the knowledge of the stars. To be able to read the stars and understand what the stars were communicating. They possessed the fallen nature of Adam, and they were already condemned and deserving judgment. The firstborn Son of God came offering His sinless, His blameless life a sacrifice for sin, not deserving the judgment He took in Himself. And as the firstborn of Egypt died in their sin, the Son of God was already the eternal Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, to be slain on the cross undeservedly, slain for those who are His enemies. Do you know that as the firstborn of Egypt, as their lives were taken, God the Father didn't see 1,500 years in the future to the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion of his son was as real to him that night that the firstborn of Egypt died as it was on that day that Jesus was actually crucified. Because the Son of God was, is, and will always be that Lamb of God slain. And God understood perfectly that his firstborn, his premier son would not die deservedly, would not die because he deserved condemnation or judgment because he was sinful. He would die undeservedly because he was sinless and blameless, but yet he would give his life for those who were not his friends, but who were his enemies. God knew very well what the death of the firstborn spoke of. God knew very well what the blood of the Lamb spoke of. And don't think because he's God, he, he didn't experience the grief in the death of his son, because I believe he did. As the son experienced the grief that came from the separation, that was the true grief. So God understands perfectly what is fair and not fair, what is just and not just, what is good and what is evil. The scripture says he loved us first. He redeemed us in our sin. Church, that's not fair. That's not just. That is love. That is love. Jesus dying on the cross Yes, that was justice, but it was justice Jesus took upon himself, not because he deserved it, but because of his great love, not because it was fair, it wasn't fair, not because it was just, he did not die justly, he died in our, in our stead so that justice could be satisfied, but he did not justly die. Because he was blameless. He was sinless. No one else except, listen to me, no one else except the Son of God on that cross at Calvary. No one else in all of human history, before, then, or in the future, no one else who will die will ever be able to say, I died unjustly. No one. Why? Because the scripture says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the Lord passed over, sparing many from death, and you realize there were so many that night that were spared death. But yet all of those who the Lord passed over that night, not just the children of Israel, but, but even the Egyptians... The second born, the third born, the fourth born. Those that were passed over and death did not touch them. It didn't touch them because they were less guilty or that, because they were not deserving of death. Because they were all guilty and they all deserved death. Why? Because the scripture says, all deserve death. All have sinned. Romans 3. Read Romans chapter 3. 
Paul quoting from the Old Testament Scriptures. And those Scriptures aren't there just to make you feel guilty. Those Scriptures are there to reveal the true nature of who we are apart from Christ. Those Scriptures are there that we would cry out to a Savior because there is no other way that we can be saved except through that Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord passed over and did not visit death upon all who were in death. Do you realize they were already in death? In Adam, all men die. God didn't lie. He said, the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. See, we just don't rightly understand what death is. In that day, they became separated from God. All humanity became separated from God. That's death. Physical death is really, that's, we, we're all about physical death. That's what we're afraid of. That's what we get emotional about. But the reality is, here's what Jesus said. Don't fear those who can kill your physical body, but fear him who has power not only over your physical body, but over your soul to cast it into hell. The Lord passed over. He did not visit death on so many that night who were already in death because they were in Adam and they were already deserving death. But God didn't give them what they deserved. He did to some, but he didn't to all. God chose to save many who deserved death, giving life instead. That is grace. Grace is, I deserve death, but God gave me life instead. That's grace. If I deserve life, then it's not grace. It's what I've earned. If there's some shred of goodness in me that causes me to deserve life, then it's not grace. And it is grace. Because the scripture clearly teaches there is no shred of goodness in humanity. There are none good, no, not one. But God, he offered life. And he gave us life in his son. That's grace. That is grace. Praise God for his grace. I said praise God, church, for his grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. Praise God for his grace. The Passover is Christ. The Passover is eternal. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 through 14, for I will pass through. This is what is going to happen that night. God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, if we only view the Passover from a Jewish point of view, or the way, um, really the way I used to view it, I I was really into the whole Messianic Jewish thing. I I loved, and and I think it's very important for us as believers to understand our heritage. Because if we don't understand the roots of the Word of God and the things in here that are inherently Jewish, we're not going to really understand what God is communicating. But the point of that is not for all, for all of us to become Jews and worship like Jews and sing like Jews and dress like Jews and wear yarmulkes. And th- that's not the point. That wasn't the point in the Old Testament that God had for his children when he told them to do things like circumcise your males and dress differently and eat differently and live differently. That wasn't the point. The point was God was communicating an eternal purpose. What? That he had an eternal people. And where is that people? They are a new creation in Christ. 
So if we only discern this from a natural point of view or from a cultural point of view or from a religious point of view, we'll miss the whole point of the Passover. So it's not that the question is, and I've, I've heard this question debated over the last couple of weeks. Should we keep the Passover or should we not keep the Passover? Well, we're free. We're not under the law anymore. Well, should we, should we have Easter services? Should we use the name Easter? It, Easter's a pagan name, and, and we weren't ever commanded to observe Easter. We were commanded to observe Passover. They've both missed the point. They've missed the point of everything. They're focused on a religious ceremony on a day, on a, on a, on a natural thing, instead of catching the revelation of the eternal truth that God was revealing in his word. And this is what I want you to catch, church. I want you to get the revelation of the eternal truth of God. Tomorrow night, starting at 6, at sundown, tomorrow is Passover. If you've never been to a Passover Seder, I would encourage you to go to one. It is phenomenal. I was actually going to do one this year, and I just, just didn't get it done. So sorry. I know Janet and Sharon are going to one, and it's it's. It's really amazing. It's an amazing thing to participate in. But if you don't go to a Passover Seder tomorrow night, God's not going to send you to hell because you didn't observe a Passover Seder. Because Christ is our Passover. And we, we should eternally observe and worship and remember and memorialize Christ our Passover, not just one time a year, but every, every day. You're free to go to a Passover. You're free not to go to a Passover. Well, yeah, what about that Easter Sunday service? You know, that's a pagan holiday. Yeah, it is. Easter comes from a pagan name. But you know what? Every day is the day of his resurrection. If we're only remembering and celebrating the day of his resurrection one day out of the year, then we've missed the whole point of everything. It doesn't really matter. Christ is the Sabbath we've entered into. Should we worship on Saturday or Sunday, Pastor Jeff? I've had this long conversation with different people. It doesn't really matter. In eternity, there is not a Saturday or a Sunday. Now is the day. Today is the day. This is the day of his resurrection. This is the day of Christ. We are living in the eternal Sabbath of God right now. Where? In Christ. God could care less. If you want to get technical, all the days of the weeks are pagan names. Almost everything we do has pagan roots. Stop looking at that and get your eyes on Christ. Realize what God has done in Christ. And so the Passover is eternal. Exodus Exodus 12, verse 12 through 14. So he says it's an everlasting ordinance. Go to verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood. That is... uh, that is in the basin. So they kill the lamb, they empty the, they, they, they cut the throat, they, they let the lamb, the blood bleed into a basin. They take this, uh, this herb, this weed, uh, hyssop, and they take a bunch of hyssop and they dip it in this basin full of the lamb's blood and they use those weeds, those herbs, as a paintbrush and they would paint the doorpost on each side, and they would paint the lintel. That's called a lintel, in case you guys didn't know that. He's not talking about split pea soup, okay? They would paint the doorposts, and they'd paint the lintel. And so you would have blood painted all over the doorway, all over the entrance to the house. Well, that's significant too. The blood marking the entrance. And so what's he say? He says, you do this. This is what you're supposed to do for the Lord will pass through. Verse 23, and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. Hence, we get the name Passover. It literally means Passover. No hidden meaning there. That's what it means. He will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons. For how long? Forever. So God wouldn't allow the destroyer to go into the homes where the blood had marked 
the entrance there. The Passover is eternal. Well, the Passover, if it's eternal, how do we keep it eternally? Well, the Passover is eternally kept in Christ. Exodus 12, let's, let's fast forward to the end of this chapter. Exodus 12, let's go to verses 43. Exodus 12, 43. So God is giving to Moses what he refers to as the ordinance. This is the ordinance of the Passover. Now, this is important for us to, to catch the truth that's being communicated here. The Passover was for God's people. Remember what did God say? He says, in this, I'm going to show that I do make a distinction between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. The Passover was not for the Egyptians. It was for the children of Israel. But God says, here is the ordinance of the Passover. No, verse 43, no foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is brought, uh, bought for money, when you have him, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. So no foreigner, no sojourner, no hireling shall eat it. Let's go, hold your place here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, here's where our knowledge of the Word of God is important. We need to read Ephesians chapter 2 in light of these truths from Exodus and other parts of the Old Testament. Otherwise, we're not going to really understand what Paul is truly communicating here. And we will miss the miracle and the wonder of God's grace of what God has done in Christ Jesus. Now, all the way back here, all the way back to the Exodus, all the way back to the Passover, God says, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. No sojourner shall eat it. No hireling shall eat it. If you've got a servant that, that's working for you and he hasn't been circumcised and he's a member of your household, the only way he can eat it is if you circumcise him. What does Paul say? We did a whole study on Ephesians a few weeks ago, so... Let's go to verse 19, Ephesians 2, 19. Ephesians 2, let me just tell you this, is such a pivotal chapter of Scripture. You, you should take Ephesians chapter 2 and you should really read and study that and meditate on that because it is so pivotal to understand your salvation and the grace of God and what God has done in Christ Jesus. If you just read over it and you, don't, you just surface read it, you're going to miss it. Don't do that, please, with the Scriptures. Verse 19, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. That word stranger could also be translated sojourner. You are no longer sojourners, strangers, or foreigners. Why is Paul telling these believers that? He's telling them because Paul, as a Pharisee, understands the significance of being a stranger, a sojourner, a foreigner. If you're a stranger, a sojourner, a foreigner, the promises of Israel do not apply to you. You can't even partake of them. You can't even have any hope of partaking of them. Paul is telling these Gentiles, you are no longer. Now, he's telling them this after he just got through saying, God has destroyed the enmity. He has taken down the middle wall of separation, and he has created in himself, in Christ, one New man, making peace, he is our peace. In other words, God doesn't see Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, free, foreigner, native. He doesn't see that. He only sees one thing. He sees Christ. And if you're not in Christ, he doesn't know you. You might think you know him. Hence, Matthew seven twenty one. Lord, we did such great things in your name. Well, we cast out devils. We prophesied. We did so many miracles. And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I do not know you. You obviously thought you knew me, but I don't know you. Why? 
because you're not in my son. Because if you're not in my son, I can't know you. Because there's only one man that can appear before me, and that is my son. So remember, this is important, church. My hand has an identity. It's a hand, right? But my hand has no identity apart from my body. It's just a dead member out there. And so there's a reason, remember, why my hand's not pictured on my driver's license, but my head is. But my hand's part of my body. So my hand is identified with me, Jeff Ripple. This is Jeff Ripple's hand. It's a part of my body. But it's a part of one body, of one man, and one identity. And that is the man Jeff Ripple. If you are a member of Christ, a member of his body, then you are a member of the one new man, the one man. And there's only one identity the Father recognizes. It is the identity of his Son. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, John 14, 6. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just like my hand ain't going to get into heaven apart from the body. You as a member of Christ aren't going anywhere apart from Christ. And if you're in Christ, you don't have an identity. Christ is your identity. Hence, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You're no longer, this is the good news, this is the gospel, church. You are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. Hallelujah. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Glory be to God. No foreigner, no hireling. John 10, I don't have time to do it. John 10 is another pivotal chapter of Scripture. There's a reason why Jesus said, I am not a hireling. You know what a hireling one? One who works for wages. That's what a hireling is. No hireling shall eat of the Passover. Now, just stop for a moment. I want you to think. Why would God not let a wage worker eat the Passover? What's wrong with being a wage worker? Oh, there's a whole lot wrong with being a wage worker. When we're talking about the economy of God. Because we're not justified by our works. One who works, this is what Paul taught. He who works expects what? Wages. We're not justified by works. We're justified by faith. Do you see all the way back to the Exodus, all the way back to the very first Passover, God says, I will not allow a wage worker to eat my Passover. Why? That seems unreasonable and unfair, God. There we go again. We ate from the wrong tree, and we're going to stand in the place of judging God. Why? Because God was sending us. He was giving us a picture of a truth. That was 1,500 years in the future. But yet to him, it was eternal. It was, it is, it, it will always be. We're not justified by works. We're not earning God's wages. We can't be good enough to earn a place at the table with God. God says, no wage worker will eat my Passover. Jesus, in talking to the Pharisees, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Today in the charismatic church, we turn that scripture into something about the devil. It has nothing to do with the devil. Jesus is talking about false teachers, false Christ, all who have come before me to make you believe that they were the way, there's another way. He's talking to the Pharisees. These Pharisees say that it's through the works of the law, the works of righteousness. They're nothing but thieves. They've come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I am the door of the sheep. And his disciples said, well, you don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. Well, let me put it into clearer words. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am not a hireling. The hireling when he sees the wolf coming, he runs for his life. He ain't going to lay his life down for the sheep. Jesus said, I'm not a hireling. And as his children, 
Guess what? You're not. You're not hirelings. Because your elder brother, your father, your savior, Jesus, he's not a hireling. And in Christ, you're not a hireling. This is why Paul says we're saved by faith. We're justified by faith, not by works. We're not hirelings. We don't preach a hireling gospel. If that's it, then it's not a gospel. Because if I can work for my salvation, then Jesus died in vain. If I can earn my salvation, Jesus died in vain. No hireling will eat my Passover. No wage worker. Do you see? This is the way I want you to see the Scripture, church. I want you to begin to read the Scripture, even all the way back to the Passover. I want you to see Christ, even when it says no foreigner, no stranger, no hireling. Do you see Christ in every page, in every In every verse in this scripture, do you see Christ revealed? This is why God gave us his word, to reveal Christ to us through this living word. Hallelujah. Look at verse 47 and 48. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. He didn't give them any choice. He didn't say all except, he said all. If they were the children of Israel, they were commanded to keep this. There's a whole message in that. I don't have time to go into there, but there's a message there. You ask God, he'll he'll reveal it to you. And when a stranger, there's that word again. Now, now, I can't do this now, but there there are several different words for stranger here in the Hebrew, okay? But they all basically, it all comes down to the same point, and and the point's going to be made right here. And a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native. When shall he be as a native? When he's circumcised. When he keeps the Passover, when he's circumcised and he keeps the Passover, then he shall be as a native of the land. Here's the important statement. In verse 48, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. So it doesn't matter if they're native, it doesn't matter if they're a stranger, it doesn't matter what kind of stranger they are. If they're not circumcised, they can't eat it. There was the assumption that if they were native, if these are Jews, they're circumcised. Why? Because the commandment was given to circumcise all the way back to Abraham. Why? Because God was showing, I have a people. I've always had a people, and I will always have a people. And I have made eternal provision for my people. And so when the foreigner gets circumcised, the the Scripture says there's no more distinction. He's like a native son. It doesn't matter if he's from Egypt or from Greece or from Timbuktu. If he comes and gets circumcised, he's like a native-born son. He can partake of and live under the very same things that that God is giving to the children of Israel. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. Now let's go over. Hold your place there. Let's go to Colossians 2.11. Colossians 2.11. This is another good chapter of Scripture. Actually, all these books right here, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those are such powerful books that give us such a clear portrayal of the gospel of Christ. Verse 11, In Him you were also circumcised. What's, What's key right there? In Him. Where were we circumcised? In him. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the, of, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Hallelujah. Can you partake of the Passover in Christ? Guess what? You can. Why? Because it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised with hands or not. In Christ, you have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Philippians 3.3. Turn back to the book of Philippians. 
Paul tells the Philippians in, let's just read from chapter uh, 3, verse 1 to verse 3. We'll read the first three verses of chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. See, even Paul did that. Paul taught the same things multiple times. So I'm not the only one that does that, okay? Because the Bible, see, it's scriptural. It's, it's, it's good for you. It's safe for you, all right? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, wage workers. Here are the hirelings. Beware of the mutilation. Beware of the people that come in and say, you're not really saved. You're not really, can really partake of the promises of God until you get circumcised. He, Paul calls them dogs and hirelings. Beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision. Who what? Who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ. Hallelujah. Rejoice in Christ. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. So all Israel was to keep it, and there was to be no distinction between the native or the foreigner, once he was circumcised. And this is the truth that the New Testament is teaching us. This is what Paul is declaring to these Gentiles. There is no longer a distinction. You are the circumcision. You are a native-born son. You are a child of God, able to partake of the promises of God because you've been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. They understood this because they understood the Old Testament. We don't understand this today. We don't really know what Paul's talking about today. We want to mystify it and mysticalize it and spiritualize it, but the reality is it's truth. And Paul is relaying truth that God communicated 1,500 years before through the Old Testament scriptures and preserved them for us today. Look at verse 29, Exodus 12, 49. I'm sorry, sorry. Exodus 12, 49. One law, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger. One law. You might be native born, you might be a stranger, but there's one law you're both going to have to conform to. And when you conform to that, what does verse 48 tell us happens? There's no longer a distinction between native born and foreigner. When you conform to that law, there is no longer native born and foreigner. There's no distinction any longer. But there's one law that all native born and all Foreigners have to conform to. One law shall be for the native born and one for the stranger who dwells among you. What is that one law? Native Jew or foreigner must meet one law. Well, here, physically speaking, it was to be circumcised, but there was a greater truth God was communicating. Paul elaborates. Paul gives us the commentary in the Old Testament in his epistles. We are the circumcision who are in Christ. Circumcised without hands, the circumcision of Christ. So native Jew or foreign must meet one law, which law is met only where? Where is that law met today, church? In Christ. Paul called those who were circumcised, uncircumcised. And he called those who were physically uncircumcised, circumcised. The physically circumcised were uncircumcised because they were in unbelief. They had rejected Christ. The physically uncircumcised were called circumcised. Why? Because they had found life in Christ, and in Christ they were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And they have, in Christ, conformed to the law. And in Christ, they and you and I and all who are children of God in Christ, we eternally keep the Passover and we have conformed to the one law because we have come under the circumcision, not made with hands, the circumcision of Christ. And in Him, in Christ, we eternally keep the Passover of God because this is what the Passover spoke of. It wasn't just so we can have a nice dinner and look at all the cool symbolism every year and think, wow, isn't that neat? Well, it is neat, but it's more than neat. It's miraculous what God has done. It speaks of our very salvation. It speaks of the very eternal plan and purpose of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. And God, by His power, by His mighty hand, has made us a part of that. He has qualified us by circumcising us with the circumcision made without hands. For in Christ, neither... Galatians 6.15, for in Christ, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. What then does avail? A new creation. And that is the question. Have you become a new creation? Where? In Christ. Are you Israel or are you Egypt? If you are in Christ, you are the children of Israel. Don't go flaky on me. I'm only telling you what the Scripture declares. You're not of the world any longer. You're not a foreigner any longer. You're not a stranger any longer. You're not. How do you know, Pastor Jeff? Because that's what the Scripture says. Have you been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands? Are you in Christ? Then do you believe what the Apostle Paul wrote? You're not a stranger any longer. This is his whole point of why he's writing to the, to the, the church there in Ephesus and Galatia and, and Philippi and Colossae. It's why he's writing this. He says, look, these guys are coming and telling you guys, you don't, you don't, you don't, uh, you haven't earned the right. You haven't lived up to the right because you haven't kept the law. He says, no, you've kept the law in the only one who ever kept the law in Christ. You qualify because Christ has qualified you. You might not be circumcised with hands, but you've been circumcised with a circumcision without hands through faith in Jesus Christ. What matters? What is Paul? Listen to this Pharisee of Pharisees. Circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing but a new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was a foreigner, but I'm not any longer. I was a stranger, but I'm a son now. Hallelujah. Where? In the new creation. Where? In Christ. In Christ. I'm a son. This is what? I'm a son. Where? In Christ, I'm a son. Christ is our Passover, and in Christ we eternally keep His Passover. And all righteousness, do you realize that, church? In Christ we keep all. Not just the law of the Passover, not just the ordinance of the Passover, but in Christ we fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of who? The righteousness of God. Now stop right there. What does the scripture, the eternal word of God say has been imputed to me? What have we become in Christ? We have become the, not the righteousness of Paul, not the righteousness of Pharisees or Sadducees. No, the righteousness of God. Do you know there's only one righteousness? If it's not the righteousness of God, it's not righteousness. Because there is no righteousness outside of God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do I qualify to keep the Passover because I'm in him? Those ordinances, listen church, here's the mistake a lot of the church makes. A lot of the people who are Christians today think that God, after Jesus came, went like this. Now, let me see. Uh, well, if I reckon correctly in my Bible, everything from page 1 to 1,130 just doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> Let's rip it out of our Bible because it's gone. doesn't mean anything any longer. Christ, we have Christ now. That is wrong. The law of the Passover still applies. You better be circumcised or you can't eat the Passover. You better not be a foreigner, a hireling, a stranger, uncircumcised. You cannot partake of the things that God has promised to his children. You can't do it. God didn't make those things go away. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to what? Fulfill the law. The law is still in effect. It's still in force. The good news is, in Christ, we fulfill the law. Why? Because Christ was the one man the only man who ever will, whoever did and whoever will, fulfill the law. And if we are in Christ, God says we are the righteousness of God 
in him. We have fulfilled all righteousness where? In Christ. So I can keep the Passover. Legally, I can keep it. Why? Because I've been circumcised with the circumcision without hands. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The promise of life given to his children is my promise. Why? Because I'm in Christ. It's your promise. Why? Because you're in Christ. Not because you deserve it. Not because you did anything to earn it. No hireling, no wage worker will eat the Passover. This is why God rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's offering. Cain's offering signified the works of his hands. He was a wage worker. I'm going to work hard for this. I'm going to show God how hard I worked for him. God utterly rejects that because God does not want us to believe for one minute that there's anything we can do to earn anything he has to offer us. What he offers us is by his grace. By his grace. No hireling. So what did Abel bring? Abel brought the life of another. He put his trust in the life of another. Cain put his trust in the works of his hands. Jesus signified that offering to Abel was a foreshadowing of the lamb that would ultimately come. Are you putting your trust, church, in your ability to work for God? In your ability to fulfill some system of righteousness, whether you want to call it the Mosaic law or some law, you, you know, people, people make up their own system of rules and regulations. It doesn't matter whether it's your own creation or whether you took it right out of the Bible. If you're trying to be justified by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh, there is no justification there, none whatsoever. If you're not trusting in the life of another, in the life of the Lamb of God, the eternal Lamb of God, if you're not trusting in that life, you have no hope. There is no hope outside of Him. But if you have put your trust in Him, and He has become your Passover, and He has become your life, your salvation, you have, and you do, and you eternally will fulfill all righteousness. Not because you do it, but because he's done it for you. And God, by his spirit, will cause your life to conform to the life of his dear son. He will. That's not something that happens overnight, but this is the promise God has given us. This is the promise of Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When it's all said and done, you will be conformed to the son. We are predestined to be conformed to the Son, Romans 8.29 says. And who's going to cause you to be conformed? The Holy Spirit of God is going to cause you to be conformed. That's good news. And when you willfully disobey Him and rebel against Him, that same Spirit will remind you of that. He'll bring you back to the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Because the name of God, the name of Christ is not going to be mocked. God says what he started in you, he's going to finish in you. Not by your power, but by the power of his Holy Spirit. Praise God. The Passover. Christ is our Passover. In Christ, we eternally keep the Passover. In Christ, God's power works eternally. In Christ, God's promises are eternally fulfilled. In Christ, we are the eternal people of God. In Christ... The eternal purpose of God is made known and the riches of His grace and love are exalted to His glory. To His glory. To His glory alone. Amen? Let's all stand. Father in heaven, You have revealed, Lord, by Your Spirit, Your Word to us, Your written Word, your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask today, Lord, we ask you today that you would cause us, Lord, as we read and meditate on the scripture, that you would begin to cause us to see Christ throughout the pages of, the, uh, of these holy scriptures. That, Lord, we wouldn't just read the Bible as some type of self-help manual, 
to give me a better life or to help me through a bad time. God, what you have given to us is so much greater than that. Father, I pray, even as we get ready to celebrate Easter next week, Lord, tomorrow is the Passover. I pray, God, that we would begin to see the Word of God and the promises of God and the things that have been revealed to us in the Word and recorded for us in the Word, that we begin to see those in a different light. That You would shine the light of Christ on every page of the Scripture that we read. That you would open our hearts and our minds and that we would see Christ in a greater and a deeper way Lord, that is the purpose of the Scripture, to reveal your dear Son. And as He is revealed, Lord, as we gaze into that very image of the Son of God, Lord, we are, the Scripture says, being transformed into the very same image. I pray, Father, that we would keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be on you, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would not look to the right nor to the left. But, Father, give us the grace to keep our eyes on the prize, on Christ himself, the greatest gift that has ever been given, Christ himself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, we'll have Not I But Christ tonight at 6 o'clock. So come on and uh, we'll have a great, if you like deep Bible study, we'll do it. Thank you.